Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to The Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron. Not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Shane. Hello, everyone. Shane Kanto. Thanks for having me. How you doing, Shane? Doing all right. Excited to talk about some movies and TV. Yeah? Well, uh, we write for SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other media-related articles. So make sure you check out the website SifPop.com to keep up with those. We have a great show for you this week. We'll check. We'll start off here in the pitch, which is now. So that's good. We're on schedule so far. Can't promise anything after that. But after that, we'll move to Coming Attraction, where we're going to give our thought on what's coming out this week. This week is a VOD release in The Rental. Then we're going to move on to the SIF topic, which will be TV catch-up. So just talking about what we're watching on TV. And we'll wrap up with this uh, spinoff. We don't have a B-plot for you today, so we'll wrap up with a spinoff, a quick recommend or avoid for you. Uh, but first, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. So Shane, when did you realize that you had a passion for movies? Well, I've definitely watched movies most of my life. And some of my fondest memories of watching movies in a theater when I was a kid was seeing the Lord of the Rings trilogy in theaters, which I fell in love with. Still my favorite films of all time. Seeing Shrek in theaters for the first time. And one of those kids that my grandfather told me it was my heritage. So I watched The Godfather when I was 10 years old. (laughs) And really in high school, I took a cinema class. And that's when I started seeing films like Raging Bull and... Cool Hand Luke and The Fisher King, Apocalypse Now, stuff like that. But I feel like it was really when I got to college at Ryder University, I joined Alternative Films Club. That was the first thing that I joined. And it was a lot of really small films. But I think the biggest thing that shaped who I am as a cinephile today was my friend who I met across the hallway, James Parrish, showed me The Big Lebowski for the first time. And I fell in love with the Coen brothers, still my favorite filmmakers of all time. And then watching Mad Max and The Road Warrior for the first time, which is also why I'm known as the Wasteland Reviewer on YouTube. So more you know. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, when you watch Mad Max for the first time, did you see the trailer beforehand? I did not, (laughs) but I've watched it since. Yeah, I, um... I did not have a good experience the first time watching Mad Max. I really like the Road Warrior and I really like Fury Road. And I just haven't seen Beyond Thunderdome because why? But I want to give Mad Max another chance. Um, It's tough because it's really low budget, really low budget. It seems like it was filmed for TV. And like the acting isn't the greatest. Most of them weren't actual actors. But I guess it's more of what it really set up. Yeah. Because then the Road Warrior... And then basically the Fury Road is what George Miller would have made if he had $150 million in 1980. So, Right. Yeah, I just – It's kind of – It's also an hour and a half movie that the plot doesn't actually happen until an hour in. So – That is very true. Right. Anyway, uh, when did you start writing for SifPop.com? I connected with Blake 
Hodges all on Instagram, which it seems like that's a pretty familiar story at this point, and started listening to his Movie Lovers Guild podcast, which I still yep. have a bumper sticker on my car for. Oh, nice. And, and then he sent out a blast asking if people wanted to write for Sif Pop. I'm like, sure, this is awesome. So got involved doing that, and I write a lot with it. So I try to keep up as much as possible. So it's been a fun experience. Yeah. Have you uh, done any special articles outside of BEC challenges, the best ever challenges, BEC challenges, like say an ATM machine? I've done a couple of award buzz articles. I know I did one on the last black man in San Francisco. I did one on the peanut butter Falcon. I had been working on one during all of quarantine with um, what to check out on virtual cinema. That one hadn't gotten a chance to get posted yet, but that was something cool that I liked. And I write a lot of reviews. I think there's one weekend where I wrote three reviews for Sif Pop this back in October. It was a fun weekend. It was playing with fire that John Cena movie Uh, midway came out. I saw a double feature of both of them on a Thursday night. It was the weirdest double feature. (laughs) Actually, no, the weirdest double feature I did was I saw a ghost story and the emoji movie in the same night it was the strangest combination of movies i think i could have came up with i'm trying to think uh any double features that i have seen i mean i know i've seen this gonna man the worst double feature ever but when i was a kid i loved it uh went and saw employee of the month that dane cook jessica simpson one back to back with uh school for scoundrels oh man i just i don't i don't know i don't know if i've ever done any double feature since because that was not a good experience I do a lot of double features for the sake of because like I see a lot in theaters and I do a lot of reviews and sometimes it's just like to fit everything in. It's like, hey, it's a Thursday night and opening night. See a couple. I worked the heck out of AMC a list when they first started that. So, yeah, I was telling somebody on the show that I just I wish I had a list, but the closest AMC is 20 miles away. But I live right next to a Marcus theater. So. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. So I was I was using Movie Pass when that was a thing. Oh no! But and I was one of those that like stuck it out. I was like, everybody's giving mm. up on it. I'm gonna. No, I should have canceled it when it stopped. It's interesting because a lot of my friends reached out when they first heard about Movie Pass, and they're like, Shane, you need this. You're a fan of movies, and they were surprised when I'm like, this is a horrible business model. And like I have a master's in undergraduate degree in accounting. So like that's my background. And I looked at him like, this isn't going to sustain as a business. I'm not good at statistics either, but I (laughs) also knew there was no way to sustain this. (laughs) And like, here's all they had to do is make you watch an ad right before you, like before you see your screening, like just make you watch an ad. They would have made so much ad revenue that they could have subsidized the cost of the tickets. I mean, maybe not quite enough, but like a lot and produce movies that aren't gaudy. So yeah, uh, that's all they had to do. And like, I would have been happy paying nine ninety five a month and watching a two minute ad before watching a movie. Like it's like, we already watched like 20, 25 minutes of them before we sit through a movie anyway. So what's exactly. the difference? Well, and, it's, and especially like movie review, like movie trailers would have been like huge trying to get that in the movie. Anyway, I just, I don't have any statistic background and even I knew it was going to fail, but I was like, I, you know, 
maybe there's something I'm not seeing that they do. Yeah. They seem pretty confident. All right. Well, uh, I got one more question for you, and that is uh, coffee, yes or no? No. No. I don't consume any caffeine, really. Oh, so wow. I don't drink tea. I don't drink coffee. I have all of this what? natural energy. So, so what's your go-to? <laughs> so what's your go-to? Water? Water. And if I'm or, feeling crazy, or, I drink some milk. So <laughs> that's basically it. Okay. My, I don't, I, I find myself drinking coffee more. I only drink it when I work, mm-hmm. like when I'm getting something done, but uh, it's just out of a habit or out of a, something else. I don't, I don't really like coffee. Yeah. Uh, my go-to is, is soda. And so that's why I'm fat. Oh. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, let's move on to the coming attraction. So this week we're talking about the rental. It is uh Dave Franco, directorial debut for the big screen. He also helped write the screenplay with Joe Swanberg, who probably most known for Drinky Buddies. I uh, looked through his page and haven't really seen anything else. A lot of no-namers in here, but it is starring Dave Franco's wife, Allison Brie. I'm a big fan of her. Um, and uh, the plot synopsis for this movie is two couples rent a vacation home for what should be a celebratory weekend getaway. So we watched the trailer for this, and uh, I got to know, Shane, uh, if this were a theater release, now this is a VOD release, not like a Netflix or Hulu, this is VOD, so you have to pay for the re- for a rental. You have to pay for a rental of the rental. If, if this were in theater, how excited would you be to get to a theater? Would you go opening weekend? Would you try to just catch it in a matinee to save some bu- a couple bucks? Would you wait to rent it, uh, or it's on a streaming service you already paid for, or are you just not interested and never watch this movie? In terms of, so I go see a lot of films, especially like a lot of them in theaters, but how I would be feeling going into this movie would probably be, I kind of wish I just waited for streaming because I watched the trailer and nothing in it really grabbed me as anything different than I've probably seen in some thriller before. The thing that does interest me is the fact that this is from Dave Franco. And I always find it interesting when an actor takes that step to do something outside their wheelhouse as in something that's not acting. And I'm a huge fan of Alison Brie. She's a fantastic actress. And those are kind of the, and like Dan Stevens is in it as well. And he's usually a very good actor. He's also been in some things where he makes some poor choices as an actor. Like I took my mom to go see call the wild this year. And he was a cartoon character sticking out in a movie with a cartoon dog in it. So that's really bad. But in general, I'm I'm more interested because who's behind the camera than what I saw in front of the camera through the trailer. Yeah, I think I, I emulate completely that. Uh, if this was any other director that uh, like is, is a relatively first-time director – uh, I think I'm probably in the never watch category, but I, I, I think I'm in the streaming category for the exact reason you listed is um, I, I think it's interesting when when actors step outside of their bounds. And I mean, you look at John Krasinski moving from The Office to 13 Hours and not only that, but then directing A Quiet Place and even writing A Quiet mm-hmm. Place. And like, that's such a big monumental movie. But we all knew from the trailers that that movie was going to be something special. There's nothing special about this trailer. It looks like you're run of the mill just random horror movie of two people go out, encounter some creepy people and mm-hmm. probably die at the, uh, probably one person survives at the end to have to walk all the way back to civilization. I, 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 I don't, I, nothing about this seemed 
interesting or intriguing, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see what Dave Franco does because he's he's known for mostly what comedies, I guess, like like him in the Disaster Artist. That was what I was going to ask. I mean, is he most known for the Disaster Artist, or I mean, he has a fairly small role in Twenty One Jump Street, a mm-hmm. uh, little bit bigger one in Neighbors, a fairly big one in Now You See Me. Um, he was in Six Underground for a half a second. <laughs> yeah, those are the main things that would stick out to me in terms of his work. And like, obviously, he's the brother of James Franco, who's right. considerably more famous than him. But like, he still has his own body of work. And I thought he was fun in Twenty One Jump Street. I thought he was fun in Neighbors, and I thought he did a fine job in Disaster Artist, especially keeping a straight face acting against his brother, acting like Tommy Wiseau. So I give him a lot of credit there. Yeah, and he has a, he has a film debut in Superbad, where he plays Greg the soccer player that Peter's pants in, in like <laughs> sixth grade or whatever. Uh, he's also done some voice work. He's done the, the Lego Ninjago movie, which, and he, frankly, he's not oh, really doing yeah. anything special about that. He was apparently in the original Lego movie as well, just Wally, so just not really a, I don't think it was a big role. I think it was more of a background one. Could be wrong. It's sad that the only thing I remember about Ninjango was Lloyd. Yeah, and it's like it's Lloyd. I don't. I don't know that anybody liked that movie except for kids. But uh, I, you know, I, I laughed a couple times, and that that was enough for me. He's a. Uh, you mentioned doing some of the artsy ones. He's in If Beale Street Could Talk. I don't know how much or. Oh yeah, I forgot he was in that. Probably. I mean, he's probably not like, a lead based off of. No, he. He was a smaller role in that film, but like he was in it and he did a fine job. I'm sure at least like Allison Bree's gonna give a strong performance in this the rental and hopefully Dan Stevens does too. I don't know. The vibe I got from watching the trailer was which is very similar to how I felt watching You Should Have Left last week with Kevin Bacon in it. Because I recently rewatched Get Out and I found out that apparently the name of the film is based off of an Eddie Murphy skit talking about white people in horror movies where it's like you hear like something like Get Out and they don't leave. And I'm sitting there watching this trail. I'm like, yep, somebody could have went up and said, get out of this house. And these two couples still probably would have stayed. And that's how I'm feeling about this movie. And like I'm interested enough to see how it turns out. I'm going to watch it. I'm hoping that it's one of those like 6 to $10 rentals and not one of the 1999 rentals, but we're going to find out. I highly doubt it, but uh, it looks like this is getting a small theatrical release in select theaters, but I, I think for the most part, this is going to be most people are going to check this out on VOD. This is probably mm-hmm. going to be at your probably your art house indie theaters. Although, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some like AMC picked this up because a there's lots of money to be made in horror movies, and b you have Allison Brie starting, and then also taking the fact that people haven't seen the new movie in theaters since Bloodshot, and nobody liked Bloodshot. <laughs> so I think I think I'm right there with you. I there's a good chance I probably will never check this movie out, but if it somehow winds up to be really good or really interesting, I horror movie is not my genre. It is my least mm-hmm. favorite genre. I don't, I don't really like much horror movies. I mean, aside from you know, the, the shining and alien and the cabin in the woods, which really isn't even a horror movie uh, or like Tucker and Dale versus evil. Like I like, I like horror movies that don't feel like horror movies. And 
uh, or I like horror movies that feel more like like psychological thriller, like Zodiac, and mm-hmm. I, which Zodiac's probably more of a, a thriller or a drama than a horror, but it definitely has those elements. I just I don't really like horror movies, so I'm not really looking for a new horror movie to watch. And my wife doesn't like them either, so like there's there's no incentive for me to watch this movie uh, other than Dave Franco directing and writing. And I mean, it's enough to get me intrigued to like if I was that bored, I think I'd watch it. But I mean, this looks this looks pretty pretty basic. I I'm wondering. It looks it sounds like some 2020 was going to be a a fairly bad year because we have all these VOD releases that mm-hmm. are like I, I think studios are just caving in because. You, know, you were supposed to have Trolls World Tour coming out in theaters, and then all of a sudden that movie managed to make a bunch of money. Was anybody excited about Trolls World Tour? And it still made a ton of money. So like, you could release King of Staten Island that way. And we, Frank and I were talking like it probably made more money VOD than it did if it would have been released in theaters. And so I wonder if this was even a studio decision of like, yeah, I mean we tried something and it's basic, but there's money in horror movies, so we're still going to release it, but. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it does, especially like July seems such like a weird release for this movie. I mean, shouldn't this be more like an October release or I mean, this seems like one of those that might get buried in a January release? July, like who goes to see horror movies in July? It feels like one of those kinds of situations where so many movies come out and there's still a lot of films that come out on VOD, even when the theaters are up and running. And I feel like a lot of these films are just getting a lot more attention now because what else are you going to watch? Right. You're going to go hop and watch Artemis Fowl on Disney Plus? No, no, I'm not. And get very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the campaign slogans for or the marketing for new movies coming out this this year should be "It's better than Artemis Fowl" because <laughs> probably every movie should be right. It's like at least this one isn't dropping on Disney Plus, right? Yeah, at least yeah, at least this one isn't Artemis Fowl. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't know that I have any more to say anything to say about this movie, but if you have more, please please go on. I just there's nothing. Uh, I feel like I have more to say about things that are not this movie in relation to this movie, so I think it's probably for the best to just move on. I guess. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, there you have it. Hey, if this winds up being like a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, consider us wrong. Or if this winds up being like a huge hit or like a, a cult hit later. I mean, yeah, just consider us wrong. This just this just reminds me a lot of those like you remember in like the 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 mid twenty tens, like twenty fifteen era when Netflix just released a bunch of like the w- what was the one with the dude that had the the like plastic face on, but then was that uh, Hush? girl was deaf? Yeah, Hush. Like Yeah. It, Netflix like releasing that or was that a Netflix original? I don't know if it was a Netflix original, but they definitely got a hold of it pretty quickly, and it became a bigger hit on Netflix. Right, that's where it really found its audience. So this seems like it could have just been shoved in there with, you know, Netflix just making all those, producing all those relatively low budget movies back in the back in the mid 2010s. Because guess what, horror makes money because it costs like 10 million dollars to make these movies, and they make a hundred million. And it's like, how do you not? make more horror movies when if 10 people see your movie, you make a profit. And exactly. Uh, and that's the reason why we have eight paranormal activities and 20 saws. And I kind of like the saw franchise actually, but um, uh, that's, that's the reason why we have so many different horror franchises. And it's the reason why the conjuring and Annabelle and the nun and whatever else, the curse of La Llorona, like this, there's a reason for all this. And just, 
just stop going to bad horror movies. <laughs> it's like you can make a shared universe of horror characters when you know you're going to make money. Yeah. And that's exactly what James Wan is doing. Well, and I would more than welcome a shared universe of horror movies. I just I wish horror movies were better. Like, can I get a Cabin in the Woods sequel? Pseudo sequel, at least like or prequel. It's like if more of them were like the original Conjuring films and less like The Nun and Curse of La Llorona would probably have a lot more people more excited for them. I mean, I didn't even like the first Conjuring. That's that speaks how much I don't like horror movies. The only reason I saw it is because I, I bought a movie and got like an eight dollar free, you know, when they used to give coupons for when you buy movies. And Oh, yeah, like, I could see The Conjuring or Pacific Rim or something else. And like I had already seen Pacific Rim. Because you know I was there at the Midnight IMAX showing. And, <laughs> and I wound up like going to see The Conjuring, but forgetting the coupons. So I saw Pacific Rim again. <laughs> oh, no. No, I love Pacific Rim. I'm, yeah, I, I wasn't going to go see The Conjuring again. And the third choice was like something that nobody remembers at this point. I don't, I don't remember. But anyway, we're, we're not talking about the rental anymore. And yep. that should speak to our interest uh, of this movie. A very good chance that I'm not going to watch this movie, but I'll say my interest is if this were releasing on Netflix or Hulu originally, like I might give this a shot or if this was like an HBO, especially if this was an HBO original, I, you know, I'd, I'd give it a, I'd check it out. But I just, as it stands, I'm, I'm not going to spend money to watch this movie. It'll be on Hulu in a couple months anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be, it'll be on one of them. Well, hey, we got to talk about Manscaped for just a second. Manscaped is the best in men's grooming. They offer precision-engineered tools for all areas of your body, especially the sensitive ones. Now, I will never personally support a product that I don't love and use myself, but I really love these products. And I've gotten to try a couple. I've told you about some of their products, but let me send a quick reminder of what they are. The Lawnmower 3.0 is their third-generation electric trimmer with ceramic blades to help avoid nicks and irritation that come from traditional trimmers. The Lawnmower 3.0 also comes with length guards, so you don't always have to get a to-the-skin feel if that's not what you're looking for. It has a charging stand, a 90-minute battery, an LED light that illuminates the area that you're mowing, and it has a 7,000 RPM super quiet motor, so really powerful, really quiet. With the Lawnmower 3.0, you will never need another trimmer or razor for your body again. But it's not just the lawnmower. There's also the Crop Reviver, which gives you an extra spritz of freshness, perfect for when you get off work. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing deodorant that is just perfect for hot summer days right now. For real, I use this product nearly every day. They have their anti-chafing boxes, which is my favorite pair of underwear that I own. And they have a new cologne that I was pretty skeptical about since I already have a cologne that I love. But I really like this one as well, and I'm definitely going to be getting more, especially with this promo. I already tried their body wash and shampoo, and I well, I didn't use it for shampoo because I have one that I love that is special for my, my thinning hair. Uh, I, I, I really like their body wash, and I'm actually going to switch over to using this as my regular one. Uh, it's really that good. Now, all their products are made with active pH balance for your biological chemistry, aloe vera, and some really, really nice scents. You can even get a travel bag made of really nice leather, perfect to carry all of your body grooming needs. And lastly, you can bundle up all of these products in different packages that will feature something special. So here's the deal. Go to manscaped.com and get what you want. 
Put it in your cart, go to the checkout, and use the promo code SWR, like Sif Pop Writer's Room. That will give you 20% off your order and free shipping. And prices on the website are actually pretty good. They're not bad at all. But 20% off is even better and a great deal. So if you go to Manscaped.com, it's 20% off and free shipping with code SWR. Now, let's get on with the show and dive into our SIF topic. We're going to be doing TV catch-up, so just kind of talking about the things that we're watching on TV. I mean, especially during this time of still relatively social distancing. You know, during this time, you know, we've gotten to catch up on a lot of different things and uh, gotten a lot of a lot of new content to be able to catch up on. I mean, I guess not really any new content. There's not really too much dropping that's new. It's a, more of a lot of catching up. It's a it's a tricky time in television right now because. A lot of the networks are they're wrapped up. They don't have new episodes coming out of shows. They don't really have new shows coming out. And then you always have Netflix who's always dropping new shows like every single week. A lot of them, especially recently, seem to be international shows. And like HBO always seems to have new shows and obviously there's some to talk about there, but it's that weird middle of the summer of television time. So yeah, of course let's start off with what are you keeping up on week to week since there won't really be that much to talk about here. So one thing I did want to mention, it did wrap up relatively recently was Disney gallery, the Mandalorian. And the reason I brought wanted to bring it up was because it was a pretty fun docu-series looking into the Mandalorian and Disney's like, oh no, we don't have another Mandalorian. So let's release a documentary about the Mandalorian because, you know, people are going to watch it. And most of the episodes were pretty insightful. There was some cool stories. It also filled the internet for weeks with articles ripping off Dave Filoni's explanation of duel of fates from phantom menace i can't even tell you how many articles i've seen on the internet in the past month that's like look at this new perspective on phantom menace and it's like you just literally stole this from that docuseries on disney plus but whatever Hmm. but especially if you're a fan of star wars and enjoy hearing about the filmmaking process it's a fun documentary to watch And one particular episode, I think, right now has a big perspective on the future of film because they talked about the technology that went into The Mandalorian and how they filmed it. They had giant domed rooms where they took actual footage that they shot from locations, projected it on this giant dome for the actors to act inside against these domed images okay so i was recently listening to the cinema sin sin cast and they were they had babish on and he was talking about how he was on the uh, the mandalorian set that that's the new set design that they were talking about they 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 film on location and pro- project it to a dome so it's kind of like it's kind of like a green screen it is except it's encompassing the whole entire set and one of the good examples like 360 degree camera kind of like that yeah and it oh, okay. i know one of the scenes that they showed in particular was in the last episode of the mandalorian where they're on like a molten canal that was all hot in a giant dome yeah. and the actors were talking about i know um carl weathers talked a lot in depth about the idea of 
you used to have to be able to, with science fiction, stuff like that, with green screens, come up with it in your head while you're acting. And the trouble with that is everyone comes up with their own perspective. So you have a bunch of different actors with their own projections of what this world looks like around you. But with this, you all have the same idea of what it's going to look like. So you don't have to worry about that. You can just act. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it was a really insightful episode. And like this series is eight episodes. They're like a half hour apiece. I think the shortest one was 20 minutes. And that was about the score, which I love the score to The Mandalorian. So that was really cool listening to Ludwig Goranson talk about it. But it's a lot of round tables led by Jon Favreau. And it's a really interesting thing to watch. So that's why I want to bring that up. It did end already. So all eight episodes are out there. But um, yeah. the other show, I really only have two shows that I'm keeping up with right now. Got to catch the premiere of Perry Mason, which I love HBO. And I really wanted to check it out because apparently originally Robert Downey Jr. was thinking about starring in it. He produced it. Yeah. I believe it's Matthew. It's either Matthew Rise or Matthew Rees from The Americans and Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood's Perry Mason. And it's like a dark and broody origin story of Perry Mason, the show that you watched or your grandparents watched when you were a kid. And it gives an interesting dramatic perspective on his background. And it's an interesting show. Like I'm interested in watching more of it after the first episode. It didn't blow me away, but it's definitely quality television from HBO who makes plenty of quality television. So at least they have me hooked to try to catch up on the rest of it. So that's been released already. Yeah. I, uh, I also caught that one. Uh, and also about the Disney gallery, like that's great. I'll have to check that out. Uh, I know they're also releasing a one on the making of frozen two, mm-hmm. which I don't have kids, so I haven't mm-hmm. seen, but, uh, but I'm more interested in watching this making of than I am actually frozen two. We'll see. Maybe my wife will want to check that out. She's a big Frozen fan, and I'm just, I'm just not. Uh, but there's, uh, I also caught the premiere of Perry Mason. I agree. I have the same feeling as when I watched the first episode of The Mandalorian. Like, this is good. It's probably not great, but I am so excited for everything that's going to come afterwards. Like, they did a really good job of setting up. I, I don't know uh, the original series very well. I know it was not this dark. I know it was a pretty basic procedure. You know, murder she wrote kind of deal actually my parents are that old that they would have been watching it when it was on its Mm -hmm. first run it had a lot of grit to it it had a lot of of really interesting like cultural touch points like it really felt like it was set Mm -hmm. in the the 30s i believe yeah it it definitely captured the period feel to it and that was something that really stuck out to me and like there were some tense moments as well it was it was a very interesting intriguing hook to the beginning of the episode yes. that really grabbed my attention. Yes. And I would agree that it definitely is capturing a lot of different perspectives of that time period, which some of which are still very relevant today. So well, I think... And I was wondering if they were going to make this a procedural show, if this was going to be like a case of the week kind of show with maybe like a, a background thing. And I'm really happy that they're going with more so like a there might be some other cases, but this seems like it's going to be in at least this season long case. Mm-hmm. So 
But yeah, I definitely I, t- I checked out the pilot because I wanted to be able to talk about it for this episode. I'm really excited to keep watching it. I think uh, I think Matthew Reese is pretty terrific. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see or to think about what Robert Downey Jr. would have done with it. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Americans. I think Matthew Reese did a great job in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I think he's doing a great job in Perry Mason so far. You can really tell that there is something deeply disturbed about this character. Like he has seen some stuff and yeah. And there's a lot of, of torment in his eyes even. And, and just like every little aspect of his life. I mean, it's comp he's, he's getting drunk every single night and he's calling his ex-wife trying to talk to his son. And it's like, Again, I don't know if that was the original series, but I, I I find it hard to believe that this would have been the similar show to to the show the to the original Perry Mason that premiered in the fifties. So I wonder I wonder if they're doing a like actually this is going to be his origin story, or if they're just like like and it will lead up to the fifties version, or if this is like a just complete reboot, complete reimagining. I I wonder how they're gonna handle that moving forward. Uh, if they're you know if he's going to get less drunk and and less bitter and less angry at the world uh, moving forward, which would be really interesting to see that play out over a couple seasons. But I I'm really interested in this aspect of his character, and I I remember somebody tweeting when the pilot came out like that I I saw the premiere and I loved it, but I also didn't see any reason why he needed to be called Perry Mason. I completely agree. I really like the pilot. It's very intriguing. There's just no reason, and it couldn't be for getting more more people involved, right? Because the people that grew up watching Perry Mason don't have HBO Max. They don't usually have most streaming services. So, like, who who, who is this made for calling it Perry Mason? And that's a really good point because I feel like that's one of the many pitfalls of reboots. If you make it different enough where you don't get criticized for just ripping off the original – then it's like, why even have that name? Like, I felt that point too. It's like, this didn't necessarily need to be a Perry Mason show. Could have been named something different. And I guess it's because they might have had the rights to the property. And maybe Robert Downey Jr. loved that show growing up and felt connected to it and wanted to show this different perspective on it. But I feel like it works enough on its own where it's just not, you don't have to connect it to the baggage of oh, wait, I've never watched Perry Mason before. Well, you don't really need to because it doesn't really seem like it's going to connect super tightly at all, at least from now. And I don't have a a whole lot of knowledge about the original series either. So I'm just going in thinking, okay, this is a new detective case kind of show and I'm going to see if I enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I even wonder if this was a much lighter show when when Robert Downey Jr. was attached to star in it. Or I wonder if they filmed it and it was meant to be a little bit lighter of a show, but then HBO was didn't give it the pilot order and said, we're really interested, just maybe make it a little darker mm-hmm. since that's the audience today. People want that stuff. People, you know, people go crazy over criminal minds right now. So like we're law and order SVU. So like maybe make it a little bit more, let's just not be afraid to go dark and deep and, or and Matthew Rees can I think portray that a little bit darker than Robert Downey Jr. Because I think Robert Downey Jr. has a wide range of acting abilities. But I mean, I mean, if you look at, he's a very similar character in this show as he is in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. He's just tormented by different things. I mean, he's yeah, he's just a sad sack in both of these movies <laughs> or this this movie and this show. But I, I'm I'm really excited to see where things go from here. I'm excited that that it's on HBO so they can get that dark and gritty. And I just. I love HBO. I love all their original programming. Well, yeah, I, I don't think I could think of a HBO show that I didn't love. 
What else are you keeping up on a week-to-week basis? So another show that I've been keeping up on is Central Park on Apple TV+. And I've always been a huge fan of Bob's Burgers. And I've been watching it since the very early seasons. And Bob's Burgers always had those small musical numbers sprinkled throughout and the musical numbers in the credits. And this is an animated show that goes full-blown musical. And it's about a family who the father is in charge of Central Park. He's like one of the park people. And the wife is a journalist. They have a mixed family. There's a narrator voiced by Josh Gad who sings along with everything as well. And at this point, I'm about halfway through this first season. And like I've been watching Bob's Burgers for almost 10 years now. And I love the charm of it. I love the characters. And I feel like at this point, it's hard for me to judge that compared to Central Park because this is the first season. And I enjoy the characters. They're fun. I'm hoping that I build that same kind of connection that I did with Bob and Linda, Tina, Louise, and Jean, because each of those characters have all their own crazy quirks and weird aspects that make for a lot of fun and heartwarming family moments. And basically, Central Park, it feels like, it looks like it's kind of a show based off of Bob's Burgers. So I'm hoping that I build that connection. I've been having fun with it so far, so I would recommend it. Yeah, I uh, you mentioned Bob's Burgers been like what nine, ten seasons at this point. I uh, I watched it when it was like on Netflix, and I was all caught up. But then it got taken off of Netflix, which was very upsetting. And uh, I I didn't have Hulu at the time, so I wasn't able to catch up on that. But I remember uh, it did take a while for me to really love that show. I mean, I, I always liked it. But it did take me uh, a, a good a good couple seasons. I, there was a distinct episode, I believe it was in season two or three, probably three, uh, where the the kids get trapped in a garbage can that's also like a fortress. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, that's the specific episode that finally I was like, I'm on board with Bob's Burgers, and I, I'm I'm willing to accept what this show is. I feel like it's kind of started to gel, it, similarly to in Parks and Recreation, where mm-hmm. There's there's a specific moment. I think it's the Greg Pakaitis episode where all of a sudden you understand these characters and they just start to work well together. And the they they, they the the showrunners started to be smart and like let's give Chris Pratt more to do. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's kind of as as April and Andy's relationship is budding. I mean, it's just like it, there's there's a moment where it it clicks and all of a sudden it's like I was mildly enjoying this show too. I love this show and I, and I want to keep watching more and I want to get my hands on whatever I can. I don't have Apple TV plus. It's not one that I I don't, I own a MacBook, but it's Mm -hmm. old. So I didn't get a free year. Mm -hmm. I I just don't really have any interest. I mean, I know there's been some good shows on there from what people have told me, but I don't know. It's just, I have enough stuff to watch on all my other streaming platforms. So I have, I have Hulu live TV Mm -hmm. plus with no ads. Okay. I have HBO Max, I have um, Disney Plus, Netflix, and I do a lot of like digital for Vudu. Mm-hmm. Um, so I d- really, I have all of it except for, and I don't have like early access to Peacock or anything. I know some people do, and I'm probably not going to pay for Peacock. My understanding is that's going to be a free or paid with no yeah. ads. Okay, um, I 
I'll probably install the free version with ads, but I probably won't pay for that account. So I pretty much have everything except for Apple TV Plus. Uh, and I, I, I've never used Quibi either, but it sounds like that won't last long. I have a lot of streaming sites and I did try out Quibi. I ran out of content really quickly. Yeah. And that's a tricky thing. And it also came out a horrible time because their whole entire business model is um, shows on the go. Right. Little short snippets. And it released at a time where nobody was on the go. Yeah, but I also just don't know that it would have actually landed really well. Like, I, don't, I still don't know if it would have been popular if it would have been released when everything is all done. For well, it. and that's an interesting thing, too, because I feel like we're just hitting saturation at this point. And like you said, there's so much to watch. And yeah. why Quibi? Why exactly. should I watch your streaming service? And I got Apple TV Plus, and that's one of the cheapest ones. It's only $5 a month compared to bad. a lot of the other ones. And there's been some really quality series on there. I was a little disappointed by the launch material, the content. Like um, Morning Show and C, that kind of stuff, I enjoyed it. They weren't great shows, but they had a lot of star power. And now I feel like more of the content that's coming out now is a higher quality. It's just not grabbing people's attention as much. But unless you're really all in on watching a lot of content, there's no need to go out of your way to get Apple TV+. And okay. like HBO Max is the new big thing. And my God, do they have content? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much content. Yeah. And it's worth it just to have HBO. Honestly. Right. I was I was already paying fifteen bucks a month for HBO and I thought it was well worth it. So why not get Max for actually I got it for cheaper because I pre-ordered it. Me too. Which I already had it. So like now I'm paying twelve dollars a month for more content. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. And as what uh if you could only keep one streaming service, which one would it be? I put a lot of thought into this and it would probably be Hulu. And the reason why I'd keep Hulu there's a couple of reasons for me personally. One, they have a lot of indie films. And I made a comment earlier about how like the rentals probably going to be on Hulu in a couple of months. Like they have the lodge on there already that came out okay. in theaters this year. And they have a lot of independent films. They have a lot of 2020 films, documentaries, feature films just getting picked up. And the tricky thing is there's not a whole lot of, advertising like these are going to be on hulu but if you take the time to really search through they have a lot of content and i do enjoy the hulu original series and especially now that it's i guess how to put this disney's you're a little too mature for disney plus so right. let's throw you on hulu like love victor i watched that and i absolutely loved that show I loved the film Love, Simon, and I thought it was an interesting spinoff with a lot of heart, giving a different perspective, because I know a lot of people, biggest concern about Love, Simon was, well, not everybody has an extremely loving and supportive family if you're coming out yeah. as gay. And Love, Victor poses a religious family of color and the issues that come about that and his fear of coming out to his own family. And it was a really interesting show. I watched High Fidelity 
that was originally going to be like they talked about it for Disney Plus turned out it was way more mature than they wanted to put on Disney Plus. So you have stuff like that. But I think the biggest selling point for me and my favorite creator of content right now is FX. I love FX. And it's, it's number two for me. And the fact that that goes right on the Hulu now. Yeah. And I can watch what we do in the shadows, which probably is my favorite show on television right now. It's up there. And devs was a really ambitious uh, mini series from Alex Garland watching breeders and Dave and just so many things from FX popping up on Hulu. Like that's really why it's like all those different reasons. I love Hulu so much. So that's probably what I would stick with if I had to keep one of the streaming services. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at cheat on my answer. Uh, I I think, I think probably straight off it's HBO max for me Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I think FX has the second best, content i think hbo has the best content i mean yeah. and i i got hbo for a lot of the same reasons a lot of people did game of thrones uh mm-hmm. but as soon as i got it like i found myself watching everything else except for game of thrones i mean trying to catch up on all these shows i love all the new content we, we've talked about perry mason but i think you said you think that what we do in the shadows is the best show on tv right now i think i think barry is mine for, th- for 30 oh, minute shows i love barry so yeah. much I went out of my way when um, Game of Thrones was finishing up to catch up on Barry so I could watch Barry right after Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've i seen the first season through twice and the second season through just the once, but I'm hoping to like watch it with my wife again and so we can watch season three together. But I, I think I think Barry is probably my favorite 30-minute show on television, uh, on television right now. There's a good chance Westworld is that hour long for me. So I, I still think HBO is producing the best content. But I think I'm going to cheat for a little bit. I'm going to say Hulu just for sake of argument today. And it's only because I also have the live TV mm-hmm. with, with my Hulu. And so like the other reason I want to pick HBO Max is because there's so much variety. I mean, you don't just have HBO content anymore, You have, but you have the some of the Criterion collection stuff on there. Yeah. So you get a lot of older movies and you get access to things like, uh, like Cool Hand Luke. Uh, you get access to a lot of those shows. And I... I love the variety that you get there. And I think HBO mm-hmm. does the best of documentaries right now. I'm going to talk about another documentary that I'm currently watching in just a minute, but uh, I think they do the best job at documentaries. And uh, I, I'm really excited for this new one coming out. The, the Patton Oswalt's wife, the the golden mm-hmm. state killer one, that one just looks, looks incredible. I'm really excited to watch it. Uh, the the McMillions that came out recently. I really loved that. I just think HBO max would be it for me, but I, I'm going to cheat because I'm going to say, It'd be Hulu because I have live TV, so I still get that variety. You know, I still get my HGTV for those Saturday binges, and I still mm-hmm. get the the Hulu original stuff, which I haven't gotten super into just yet. But then I also, like, you can add HBO as an add-on to Hulu. I was about so, to say, you could cheat even further and be like, I can just get all of these add-ons anyway. But then I wouldn't get any of the Max properties, so I wouldn't get Love Life, which is on, oh. like high on my list. Uh, so I think you just get HBO add-on to Hulu. I could be wrong okay. about that. I think you get like they're billing it as HBO Max through Hulu. Well, maybe, maybe. I'm know. not sure. I uh, I did watch Love Life, and I love Anna Kendrick, so I enjoyed watching Anna Kendrick. 
it's standard rom-com kind of feel and like her going through relationships but like i enjoyed watching it and like they threw on new they have new looney tunes on there i saw they're bragging now it's like we have all 23 seasons of south park on here watch them I was I was watching what's new Scooby not what's new Scooby I was watching uh, Scooby Doo Where Are You the very original sixties yeah. cartoon with my mom the other day because of HBO Max and it's like mm-hmm. that's just yeah I, I'm 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 all here for HBO Max and uh, they just need to get on Roku <laughs> yeah I I mean I have I just use it through my Xbox um, mm-hmm. so it's not it's not a problem for me but I just bought a Fire Stick TV for our bedroom and I mean it's they still have HBO now so I mean like yeah. Yeah, I'm missing out on a lot of content, but at the same time, I could watch Perry Mason or uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, like, in bed. and that's like a perfect like watch in bed show. So, um, other shows that I'm keeping up on a week to week basis. Last time when I was talking with Frank, I mentioned The Mandalorian, I mentioned Brooklyn Nine Nine, I mentioned uh, Anytime There's a New Season of Sherlock, I mentioned uh, I really like the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. Talked about Stranger Things, talked about Rick and Morty. That was kind of finishing up at that point. I hadn't seen the last couple episodes. Um, I. Man, Rick and Morty is either love or hate per episode for me, and I I think this I, I think this season had a lot of swing and misses, but I also think that the the vat of acid episode is like maybe the best oh, one they've ever done. That so. episode got me so bad. I was yeah. sitting there like this episode, and like that's that's Rick and Morty. Like yeah. that episode encompasses what this show's about. The uh, so I, I I don't know if I did, but we've already talked about it today. I watch Barry uh, pretty religiously mm-hmm. when it comes out. Uh, I'm gonna keep on up, keep up on Perry Mason, and yeah, I was finishing up what we do in the shadows last time. We talked about that. And season two is is somehow better than season one, and season one was already amazing. I don't know how they managed to make it better when they when the first season had that that trial episode. I just <laughs> I don't know how, but the my favorite episode of this the series was the the one where it was like the second episode i think maybe the third it was the one right before the super super bowl episode where uh laszlo got an email that was like but if you don't forward this to seven seven people then you're gonna so he's like what it was it was the craziest silliest dumbest thing i've ever seen but i was 100 percent there for that i'm like this is this is why everybody loves taika watiti and i don't really know if he had any control over like writing or directing that episode but this i don't think he really had much input on season two really at all creatively i think I know- he was just a producer whereas he directed a couple of these season one episodes but that's because yeah. he was doing mandalorian while what we mm-hmm. do in shadows was and now he's just going to be making marvel and Sp- star wars things forever because hey, well, i'll, he'll pay him I'll give I'll give anything that Taika Waititi throws my way I, i'm a big fan of jojo rabbit and i, I watched yep. for the wilder people recently so I've been catching up with those. Uh, the only thing I'll add, uh, the only other thing that I'll add this week for kind of keeping up on a week-to-week basis is, gosh, I, I hate that I do, but I really love America's Got Talent. And mm-hmm. I got to I gotta put a caveat, I got to put an asterisk here, is I will not sit down and watch it on TV because I, I think that there is so much fluff and so much just crap and they and every it seems like every single person they put a package of this story and it's like i don't care about your story just yet wait until you get to the live show because it also works as a good transition especially because if i hear your story in auditions i'm also going to hear it in judge cuts and i'm also going to hear it in the live shows and i'm going to hear it in this quarterfinals and semifinals and the finals like i need to see your package once so do it during the live shows because that gives you good transition time but uh, and I don't need to know everybody's story, especially since they go out there and they interview everybody anyway. And they show that it's like, just give me that. 
cut out a lot of the fluff. They it, let me see the talents that happen. And there's a lot of things that are just ridiculous. And sometimes even some trolls make it on the show. And there's some really interesting talent. And I watch it with my wife who is a uh, major dance in college. And I get to be like, tell me why this is good. And, and we get to look at singers and be like, she's fine. But like, why couldn't she go on American Idol? Like the, my, my problem with a lot of these is like so many other venues at this point, but like, there's nowhere for stand-up comedians to go anymore. And there's nowhere for, I mean, Penn and Teller fool us, but that's not anywhere near the scope of America's Got Talent for magicians. And uh, there's there's nowhere for people that make original music to go. I mean, American Idol is a lot of the covers and they don't really get to do original music until the finals. But like people go on auditions with original music mm-hmm. and there's, uh, there's just a lot of really interesting acts. And man, they produce the hell out of the show. Like it's one of those that like, they really, really, really know how to how to pull at your heartstrings. They really know how to use music and slow mo and, uh, and and camera angles to really pull out emotion for you. And there's something fascinating about that. And I don't know how, but almost every episode, I wind up almost shedding a tear. And it's like I don't know how they do it, but they just do. And so I I, I love the show, but I have to watch it on Hulu after it's come out. And it's it's usually about an hour and a half. I usually I usually fast forward through about half hour of the episode. So yeah, I don't, so that's what I that's what I keep up on a week to week basis. So, uh, but some other things um, that I don't keep up on a week to week basis, but I am watching now. I'm finally getting around to the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Back to okay. uh, I'm only two episodes into that, but I'm finally getting around to it. And I grew up in Chicago. I was born in '95. Ju- like when I when I started forming memories was just after this has happened. Like just after the you know, the dream team was still a thing, but MJ was still on the Bulls, and so like this this hits me in home, and and it's fascinating because I've never been a big basketball fan, and I never really cared. I was just like, yeah, Pippen, Jordan, Rodman, what else do you need? And like it's really interesting now to see. I had no idea that Scottie Pippen was being so underpaid, and I had no idea that uh, like they do a really good job of like they're doing that thing where they're telling a story, and like if the story is on a scale of one to 10, they're, they're kind of starting you off at eight, but then they're going back to one and then they're kind of catching themselves up. Like to understand where we're at, we need to give you the background. And I think, I, I think they're producing it really well. I think it's great. I'm really, I really like hearing all these, these interviews and, and kind of understanding. And it's really, it's really affirming. I'm sorry, LeBron James, you were not the greatest basketball player of all time. Michael Jordan is and I, I'm not just saying, like, I've seen the Michael Jordan games as well. I haven't just seen the documentary. And, like, it's not just because he has more rings. It's just he's a better player because there hasn't ever been a better, arguably, sports player ever. He, he's it. And I just... As long as he doesn't play baseball. <laughs> yeah, basketball. Yeah. So I'm, I've been watching that. I'm still trying to get through Clone Wars. Um, but, man, it's, it's really hard in season one. Uh, me and my wife had started watching a rewatch of Parks and Rec. It's her first time. It's my third. So, Oh, very nice. That's special. Yeah. So we are in season four and she's uh, every part of her just wants Ben and Leslie to get together. And she like kind of doesn't know a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, it's also really interesting seeing like you see April and Andy's fancy party on them. And, and I just want to be like, Oh, this is what happened. But like, I want her to just be like, Oh, okay. Like I want her, her to experience that. Like we all do. We're like, okay, I guess they're getting married this episode. And like, they've known each other for, or they've been dating for three weeks. Or yeah. Like, so I'm seeing all these things it's like, Oh, this happens this episode. And I loved it. And, like the harvest festival, little Sebastian and like oh, little Sebastian's Sebastian. funeral. Like 
I'm just, I'm here for all of it and I'm getting to experience it, but I'm getting to watch my wife kind of react to it in this way. And I'm getting to ask her like, what do you think of Chris and Anne? And, and I'm getting to ask her like questions that I know like become relevant later mm-hmm. or like, you know, so it's, that's, that's a really fun thing for me to do. And, uh, Season one was rough for her. I think it gets better each time I watch it, but it's still just okay. Yeah. It's just more tolerable. It took a little bit to get its footing. And I was never a fan of Mark Bandana quits. Nope. Same. (laughs) And like you mentioned earlier, I think the episode for me that grabbed me was the early in the second season when they're all trying to find dirt on each other. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And Jerry being adopted. (laughs) And he didn't know that he was adopted. It's one of my favorite things, like seeing how they, cause they do it in like, it's so mean the way they do it mm-hmm. to Jerry, but it works so much better than it did, than it ever did in the office ragging on mm-hmm. people. And, and Jerry still is just the sweetest guy. And it, a lot of it pays off because they write Jerry to be the most successful person. He talks about, he's only got a couple yeah. of years left on his retirement. He has a gorgeous wife. His daughters are stunning. Like, and, and the, we just got to the episode where, uh, where, they they check him out because everybody sends and their 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 dick pics and uh, uh-huh. and so they and, and so like the doctor's just like that man has the biggest penis I've ever seen on anybody. And I didn't even check why. him out. I just looked like it's just it's it's so like it works so well because they also play up Jerry to be like the the most successful person there ever has been, but he just gets ragged on and was just watching. Uh, Season four is my favorite because Leslie running for campaign against Paul Rudd is just my favorite. And Bobby Newport. <laughs> yeah. And and so like we just got to the episode where uh, they they found out Leslie was actually born in Eagleton. And and like Jerry runs around, and does all these interviews and they've already solved everything. Jerry, Jerry comes back. And he's like, all right. So like, I, I, here's what I did. I did all this. All right. So now I'm going to go down here and do all this. It's going to take me like another week. Is there anything that I need to know? But, nope. And they just let him leave for a couple <laughs> it's just i love the show i love reliving the andy dwyer moments and the ron swanson moments mm-hmm. uh I, I i love it it's i have a i have a small ron swanson pop funko on my desk at work and all of my student workers are like it's little ron i and- do not have the ron swanson funko pop but i do have the burt macklin and the little sebastian oh. ones oh nice but it's interesting you talking so much about parks and rec because I love Michael Schur and Parks and Rec and The Good Place are some of my favorite shows. And what I've been binging recently is Brooklyn Nine-Nine oh, yeah. because I had never watched it before. And I'm already in episode in season seven catching up. And it's like Jerry, it's Hitchcock and Scully. Hitchcock and, and Scully are so much better the more I watch them, like at first I was just like, who are these guys? But on the rewatch, I'm like, okay, so Scully's just addicted to food and Hitchcock is yep. just creepy. And like, <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I love, there's one time where they're like, wait, so, so Kelly is his dog. And it's like, like they're not sure if it's his dog or his ex-wife or whatever. Yeah, And they like and think it's his daughter, he's but he's just dating a college girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, I love Brooklyn Nine Nine. I've been so excited watching that recently because I I loved it from like the first couple episodes I watched. It. I'm like, this is a show for me. Yep. And Captain Holt and his deadpan 
everything is so satisfying and especially when he gets petty and sassy is absolutely hilarious and all the characters get their moments and they deal with some heavy stuff in certain episodes and yeah that's that's one of my favorite things is uh, the mumu episode like brooklyn 99 is truly a show ahead of its time and i'm i'm more fascinated than any other show like i would rather have brooklyn 99 season eight over any other show right now to see how they're going to react to everything going on with police right now because exactly they are so ahead of their time and they are so good at social commentary and they're so good at doing it in a way that doesn't feel preachy, but that also feels funny, but mm-hmm. also like gets across the message. And I just, I love it. You, you also mentioned Captain Holt and just, I mean, he, my favorite moment of the entire series is where Rosa says that he and he, Kevin just need a bone. And he just like, it's, he, it's him screaming bone for like seven minutes. So <laughs> it feels like an eternity. And it's just so funny. To me. You'll also appreciate, I, I have a little Corgi. As, as a dog, and so I named him Cheddar. I heard you say Cheddar earlier, and I'm like, I'm 100% sure he named his yes. dog after Brooklyn yeah. Nine-Nine. Yeah, shout out, follow him on Instagram. It's at Cheddar the Dog Nine-Nine. So, <laughs> and, but fantastic. anyway, it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine is, is one of my favorite shows on right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, should, I should circle back to The Good Place because when I talked about it with Frank, I was just about to get to the end, and uh, I was really satisfied with the ending. I think it's great. I think, uh, I don't know. I think the show probably overstayed its welcome a little bit because how do you really carry on this concept? And I think I think they were just so focused on getting season one perfectly that they never thought about season two, three, or four. And season one was incredible. And I just I don't know. It, some of the episodes were really hit, and some of the episodes were really missed. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I'm like this just doesn't make sense. I think season one is is perfect because every gripe I had with the show is explained away. Honestly. I, I don't even like Eleanor very much as a character, but Jason is one of my favorite characters to come through TV recently. He's he's just the best. I love the fact that that show knew how to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again, where after a while, it's like you watch the first yep. season, like, how's this going to work? Just watching this over and over again. And it's really ambitious. And I can see why where some yeah. people, it's like, I'm checked out at this point. This is getting ridiculous. But honestly, I stayed hooked up until the very end. And I had a very emotional night because I watched the series finale of that and the series finale of BoJack in the same night. And I had some feelings and I legitimately teared up watching the series finale of The Good Place. I watched BoJack first and then I watched The Good Place and Michael Schur is a very interesting creative yeah. mind with all the oh, different yeah. shows that he's had a part of creating. I want to throw out just one more show that I've been watching. And since Frank told me to watch Newsroom, I watched all of Newsroom. It is so addicting. It is. Uh, I watched the first episode and I'd seen the opening scene, but I didn't I didn't realize how much I was going to get invested in these characters. And I was expecting I wasn't expecting the real glue to to this series is not Jeff Daniels, but it's Jim. It's this, uh, it's the, it's the senior editor. He, he is the heart and soul of newsroom for me and watching, watching him interact with everybody and watching him get heartbroken and watching him kind of deal with issues. It's season one is just fascinating. It has some really powerful moments, some moments that made me cry, especially have you seen newsroom? I have not. Okay. There's, there's the end. Uh, it, 
season one takes real life. They all take real life events. So it aired in 2012, but it covers 2010 and a little bit of 2011. Mm-hmm. And so, like the first episode is dealing with the Deepwater Horizon, the the BP oil oil rig that oh. leaks oil. Um, mm-hmm. But there's uh, episode four. It's called Fix You, and ha- plays the Coldplay song at the end. But it's the it's the where the where the Arizona government governor got shot in the head in front of the grocery store, and like mm-hmm. it's a super emotional ending. But it also like really shows you like the process of of live news broadcasting and all of a sudden here's breaking news how do you deal with it and like we got to be sure before we go announce something and it's it's really emotional it's really intense I, i'm glued to the screen and most episodes are like that they also deal with some really interesting moral conflicts and, and what i really love about the show is sometimes they deal with some moral conflicts but they never give you the outcome so like there's an episode where a character does said something on the air that was told to her off the record and so they said, we found a loophole for you to get out of, out of it. All you have to do is go on air and apologize. And she said, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and they said, you're going to go do that. And you never know whether she did or not. And it's like, it's up to you to interpret how it happens. And it's just, it's, it's a fascinating show. Season two kind of makes a, a fake story arc of, of, uh, of something going on in the background. But there's still real events going on. And uh, it's covering the 2012 election campaign a little bit as well. And, season three it the whole series is only 26 episodes so it's pretty easy to breeze through but season three is is outstanding with with some of these shows like hbo you get uh the last season seems to just not really land i mean mm-hmm. game of thrones season eight didn't really land um or not even just hbo shows a lot of times the last season just feels rushed or or you're just like yeah they were kind of dying and and hbo just decided to pull the plug and so like just wrap up your season Season three is the best of newsroom. It's it's fascinating and it's 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 gripping and it's smart and you're so invested in these characters. I can't recommend this show enough. I'm gonna stop talking now just because I know I've talked about it for forever. But thank you, Frank, for recommending it to me. I I wholeheartedly endorse that. Please, like, man, you gotta you gotta put it up on your list. I will have to add it to my spreadsheet. Yeah. To keep track of everything. It's it's so good. It's fascinating. And like it's tw- like I said, it's 26 episodes. So you can, if you have like a week off, you can watch it in a week. It took me probably two and a half. But mm. I, I was always just so excited to, when do I, when can I watch this next episode? And it's, gosh, it's so good. Um, any, anything else you're watching right now? Or just recently that you, that you want to mention? Talked a lot about a lot of things. Because usually I have a show that I'm watching with my girlfriend, and that's Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We've been watching that. And I usually keep pretty regular with television, watching things. I keep a spreadsheet to keep it all track. And I rotate. So like, I'll watch a season of a show, move on to another show to watch another season. And I just started watching Castle Rock for the first time on Hulu. So that's what I'm, I guess, binging right now. And- It's a very interesting dive into the world of Stephen King. And right off the bat, it's dealing with Shawshank Prison. And I'm like, I get these references. And I watched like the first episode and it has some intriguing mystery to it. It's on Hulu and I'm excited to see where it goes. I've heard good things about it. And like, I haven't read everything that Stephen King's written. So I'm sure I'm missing out on some of the references that they make in it, but I'm like, I've seen Shawshank, so at least I could get that one. So it seems like it's an interesting mystery. I'm early stages positive of 
I want to keep watching it. So that, that that's a good transition because that is a show that is on my queue. Okay. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to run through shows that are on my queue and just ask you, I mean, you watch a lot. So like, are any of these shows like just not worth watching, just not worth me investing my time. So uh, it's, it's a little bit lengthy of a list. So I'll kind of go through it relatively quickly, but these are all, um, I haven't seen them. There's a lot that are just certain seasons between Hulu, Netflix, HBO, Disney Plus, or just I own the DVDs, whatever. Like that's what that's what those are going to be. So um, let's see, Agents of Shield season five through seven, because uh, I really like seasons one through four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, the American Crime Story. I've seen season one, the OJ Simpson, but I haven't seen the season two. I like the second season, but it like the OJ season was one of the most impressive things I've seen on television. So is the is the second season worth watching? It's one I go back and forth on, I, and I'm gonna watch the Monica Lewinsky season. I, just, I wouldn't prioritize it, but like if you're at a point where it's like I want to watch something that's gonna like reach out and grab you in terms of like intensity, it's like it's a very intriguing story. But I probably wouldn't prioritize that one. I mean, maybe I'll just binge it when season three comes out. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Atlanta's Missing Children. That's an HBO docuseries. It's only like two episodes, I think. Um, Ash versus the Evil Dead. Oh, my God. That was one of the saddest moments when I found out season three was going to be the last season of Ash versus <laughs> Evil Dead. I absolutely loved it. It's creepy. It's funny. It's just to the wall nuts. And it, it, if you love Army of Darkness. I like Army of Darkness. I love Evil Dead, too. I feel like it does lean more towards the horror than army of darkness does because like legitimately I wasn't afraid of army of darkness at all. Same. They're just silly, but like Asher's evil dead really does have its really creepy moments. It feels so much like a Sam Raimi show. And if you love evil dead too, it's like, that's definitely one that I would move towards the top of the list to check it out. Cool. Well, for sake of time, I'm just I'm just going to breeze through these. And then once I'm done, just if there's any of these that you're like, you could just take that off your queue. It's really not worth watching. Um, or like, this is spectacular. How have you not seen this yet? So um, let's see. Big Little Lies, HBO, Boardwalk Empire, also on HBO. Broadchurch is available on Netflix. Uh, I own Buffy on Hulu. Uh, Castle Rock is on Hulu. That's on my queue. Uh, there's two seasons of that out right now. Uh, Deadwood on HBO. Uh, the Defiant Ones, it's a four-part docuseries, came out like two years ago. Uh, Devs is on my list. Uh, Doom Patrol, that's one that I'm kind of on the fence about. Uh, Euphoria, Fargo, seasons one through three. Uh, From the Earth to the Moon, the HBO docuseries. Hannibal, which is now on Netflix, uh, three seasons. I'm watching The Last Dance. Uh, Lego Masters, I don't know if that's really worth watching. Um, Mr. Robot, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, The Prod Against America, uh, I really like Preacher season one and two, so I'm watching three and four. Just I, I need to get around to it. Um, Sopranos, uh, Taboo, uh, The Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, uh, Unbelievable, The West Wing, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Are all those worth keeping on my queue? So for some reason, I just couldn't get into Plot Against America. I'm usually a huge fan okay. of HBO shows, and that one, I don't know, it just something about it just didn't click with me and it's it's not in high it's not held in high regards and so like if i were to say pass on any of them pass on that one if i were to pick 100 percent, yes would be fargo 
Okay. I absolutely love Fargo and the anthology approach to it. Each season has an incredible story. The third one's definitely the weakest link, but the second season of Fargo is one of my favorite seasons of television. So okay. I would speak very highly about Fargo. Well, I took I took the Plot Against America off. And what I'm going to say is just I took it off. If anybody out there on Twitter is like, no, it's really good, tweet at me and maybe I'll put it back on. Uh, Which, but if nobody tells me, then I'm just going to assume either nobody watches the show or it's just really not worth <laughs> watching. It's funny because I'm going to try to catch up on Doom Patrol too, especially since the second season starting. I've not seen any of it. So I haven't either. I just, so. But it, it seems to be held in pretty high regard. So, And then there's a lot of there's a lot of 30-minute show I have. So I'm just going to, again, try to breeze through these. A lot of it is Disney Plus shows that I just didn't watch as a kid because I never mm-hmm. had cable. So, But a lot of it is new Hulu stuff. So um, AP Bio, uh, Archer, The Last Airbender, Bob's Burgers, the second half of the seasons, Clo- still getting through Clone Wars, 10th season of A Kirby Enthusiasm, Dave, uh, F, new season F is for family. Have to get around to that. Flight of the Concords, um, Futurama, which I tried to start a couple times, but never got into it. I feel like now's a good time. Uh, Future Man, Last Man on Earth, Letter Kenny, Modern Family, Mister Show, Solar Opposites. All those worth keeping. Archer's one of my favorite shows ever. I absolutely love that show, and even though some of the more recent seasons kind of lost their way a bit. I'm. I would always recommend Archer to people. Absolutely love that show. I mean, at this point, it's just a big time commitment. It's ten seasons, yeah. but I think the seasons are only like what ten episodes each. They're not long. They're like, but bet- I think they're between like eight to thirteen. Okay, and they're twenty. Yeah, I mean that's episodes. pretty doable. So yeah, the- Archer is one of those shows that I tried to get into. I just, I again, I think I was at the wrong age because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't stick with it for long. I think I was like eighteen or nineteen. Uh, but I think the show is a little bit smarter than it looks. And uh, it seems to be a lot of people I know that are a little older that appreciate mm. the show a lot more. I mean, college students appreciate it for a different reason. That, that's when I started watching it was I was a freshman in college. Okay. Actually, I think that's when it first came out. It's it's a great show. You could probably skip Danger Island. That's probably one season you could skip. The tricky thing. I mean, I'm probably not going to. Because the tricky thing is the last couple of seasons are independent seasons of each other. Yeah, which I appreciate. And like it it turns into an anthology kind of. I hear like there's supposed to be an explanation. There is. And for me, it wore out its welcome because for me, I became so attached to the characters that they started doing these anthology seasons where it's like, I want to know what happens with these characters. And now they're just like isolated. Let's throw the Archer group into a weird scenario and it's finally wrapping up. So I love Archer. So I definitely recommend it. Cool. Well, Hey, uh, I'm going to do the same thing I did with Frank. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I'll do this every time, but since I, finished uh newsroom i i'm in need of a new hour-long series so what should i watch after i finish the last dance uh you highly recommended fargo so i'm gonna throw that up there uh so fargo i feel like anything else i say is gonna be fargo uh fargo (laughs) ash versus the evil dead or mr robot what should i watch next after the last dance what do you so i haven't seen mr robot but I love both the other shows. What are you in the, wait, 
going in for the mood for? Are you okay diving into something that's going to be dark and intense and dramatic? Or are you in for Dark and intense and dramatic seem like is is oftentimes my favorite stuff to watch. I don't Fargo. Like then Okay. I I don't I don't, I don't I'm never really in a mood for a TV show okay. like because I mean, because TV is the way. Now, if you're talking movie, different because I'm choosing to invest a small, you know, mm-hmm. but which it should be the opposite because you're investing way more time. But I, with TV shows, they're so they're so grand that it's not just like I'm in a mood to watch a horror one. Yeah, it's funny because I have a friend Matt who I occasionally do videos with on my uh, channel. He will be like, "No, I'm not really in to commit like." a two hour movie and then he'll watch seven, eight episodes of the office. And I'm like, you just watch something way longer than a movie. (laughs) But I know what you mean by that. Cool. Yeah. Well, I, uh, next month I'm talking with TV with Caleb. So hopefully I have a Fargo update. Uh, cause I should get through the last dance pretty quickly. And Fargo is only, I think 10 episodes a season. So it's 30 episodes. Okay. Is, is season four coming out soon? Or is there going to be a season four? The fall end, it has Chris Rock, Jason Schwartzman, and um, completely blanked on her name, but I love her as an actress. She was in Wild Rose. She was in Chernobyl. Jesse Buckley. Oh, okay. I'm excited about that season because it's very interesting. Like, it's going to be led by Chris Rock. And I'm like, that's an interesting choice. It seems like they're going in a pretty different direction. Well, look, Chris Rock is in a pretty interesting time because he's also the star of a new Saw movie. So. viral it's another one we're gonna have to wait for yeah well hey hopefully i have an update on fargo by the time we get to the next episode and that's also great because then i'll be uh, i can keep up with fargo when season four airs because i have hulu and fx on hulu uh what about your q anything uh anything notable worth worthwhile on there i see you have a note about like sharing your explaining your system i have a spreadsheet and when i'm watching a show i've tried watching the same show like from if I have like seven seasons to watch, I've tried watching them one through seven before moving on to a next show. And I've gotten more into rotating. So like I'll watch a season of a show. So like over the past week I've been off and like I watched the first season of Boardwalk Empire. I watched Broad Church, the first season of Broad Church. I really enjoy British television. So I'll go back and watch things like Keeping Up Appearances, Are You Being Served? I've watched a the first season of the sketch comedy, a bit of Fry and um, Laurie it has Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie in it. So like I'll rotate through. So like what's coming up for me, it's like I'm watching the first season of Castle Rock right now. I was going to s- try out The Crown and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Ooh. I also have it alphabetically. I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've heard really good things and I've always loved Seinfeld. I've always been a fan of Seinfeld. I used to watch it every day after school. I don't and like Seinfeld. I love Kirby enthusiasm, but oh, I know that if you like Seinfeld, you will love Kirby enthusiasm. Okay. It's hard to binge though. Like it's, it's not a show that you can just sit down and watch the whole season in a day. Like, especially because it's an, it's almost entirely situational comedy. It's not a sitcom. It's just, here are crazy scenarios that Larry David gets himself into. How did, how did he get there? And it's uh, just it sounds like, like Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, but like Seinfeld also has jokes scattered in it, and it's mm-hmm. just like Kirby Enthusiasm is not that. It's it's a really hard show to binge. It took me like a year to get through seasons one through Interesting. nine. Interesting. 
So, um, but, yeah, I really like that system, especially because, you know, if I'm looking at something like Archer, like if I have 10 seasons to catch up on, like that's a big commitment and I'm less likely to do it right now. But if I could be like, well, I'll watch one uh, and then I'll I'll get through an, uh, a season of the Clone Wars and then I'll watch an, another one. Like that's a pretty good, like a farming system kind of. I'm very methodical and systematic about everything. Like I own almost 1500 movies. I just hit the um, thousand mark. Nice. And like my girlfriend's gotten into it because we just recently moved in together that it's like, if we're in for a movie, I just throw on a random number generator, <laughs> look where it corresponds on my, ne- uh, my Excel document and just throw in a movie. Cause how the hell are you supposed to pick when you have that many movies? So see what happens is I have uh, I have a Google sheet and I have certain colors highlighted. So it's, uh-huh. it's light blue. If it's a movie that I haven't seen that I want to, Okay. Or like I haven't seen in a long time that I want to. It's like if it's a movie that I'm itching to see, I have it highlighted light blue. If it's a movie I own that my wife should see that she's never seen, I highlight it light green. And then when we're in the mood for a movie, we just scroll through. And then it's like I'll give I'll, I'll just scroll through and I'll be like, all right, so like you want to watch like this or this or this? We'll just scroll through and then she'll be like, yeah, I'm in the mood for that. Or or like I'll narrow it down to like I'll give you three picks and you pick between the ones. But then sometimes it's like she doesn't want to watch one of the three. And she's, yeah, I don't want to wait. Especially the pro- you get into a pattern of it's constantly the same ones. You, you, you're constantly. I'm trying to get her to watch Inception, so every single time, uh, Inception, which at this point I'll probably just take her to the theaters to see it. I was I was about so, to say that you can see it in July. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, which also got pushed back when Tenet got pushed back, but uh, yeah. So th- that's that's the way I organize it. It's not perfect, uh, and and we don't always stick to schedule because sometimes just like eh, we're both kind of in the mood for something that we've seen a million times. But uh, mm-hmm. more often than not, that's the way that we do it. Especially because my wife is I'm one of those people that I want to watch everything uh, that's worth watching, and my wife is one of those people that's like I have like six movies and I'm good watching those until I die. <laughs> so uh, we so don't it's have a, a couple of them. Yeah. So yeah, and I have a couple of them too. You know, if if I only had six movies in the world, I mean, the nice guys and Inception and the nice guys again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, cool. Well, we're uh, to kind of wrap things up. Uh, what's your favorite show of all time? I'm gonna stick to. Uh, you know, I told you at any given day it could change. I'm gonna stick to Batman the animated series. I'm gonna keep that as my answer. What is your favorite show of all time? This is going to be an interesting one because I've always, always, always loved Lost. And even the finale? I'm one of the few people that was satisfied by the finale of it. And I remember that finish when I was a senior in high school and the next day coming into school, everyone was mad. So mad. I'm (laughs) like, did I watch the same finale as everybody else? Was I like watching something else? I, uh, I watched the pilot. Uh-huh. And then couldn't get into episode two. My brother watched it in real time. And so I sat down and watched the finale with him. So in commercial breaks, he would fill me in on everything that I didn't know. That was and, a for your brother. <laughs> and I, I, I think I really loved the finale. I loved what they were trying to do. I get why people hate it, though. And like that is never like Damon Lindenhoff is there's never going to be a something that he creates that everyone's going to love. It should be Watchmen. But I heard and somebody yesterday that said it was okay. Was it should be Watchmen. It would be Watchmen. I'm like, I'll admit, there's one whole season of Lost that was not great. And it was right in the middle of the writer's strike when that was yeah. going on. But it was such an ambitious and intriguing show. And this is interesting because I'm going to 
kind of build off it into my hot take on television is that I can't remember a show I was more excited week in, week out. Oh my God, it's Lost Night to go and watch Lost and see what was going to happen next. And even if the episode wasn't the greatest episode, I was still always so excited. I'm like, well, that might not have been my favorite, but what's going to happen next week? And that finale was an interesting take and I bought it and it took a very interesting look at faith in that show. And I feel like it paid off and that's why I love it. And if I had to pick something that's come really close recently, it's definitely BoJack Horseman, which is one of the weirdest shows I've ever watched, but boy, does it hit hard. The segue into my hot take is I feel like binge watching is borderline ruining television. And I heard a very interesting take from John Campia on his show when he was talking about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was an event, especially that last season. People were talking about it all week long. What's going to happen in that next episode of Game of Thrones? There was buzz. People wanted to talk about it. And he used the example of Stranger Things season three. Dicer had said the same exact thing. Did he? Because <laughs> yeah, he like, said the you, same exact thing. You watch it, and then it's gone. And Everybody was talking day. about Stranger Things, Stranger Things three for a week. They had the opportunity to dominate the conversation for the entire summer, but they didn't. And that's a tricky thing because you binge watch it. And that's the thing about Netflix. That's one of my biggest issues with Netflix. There's so much content that it just drowns it out. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember what the hell came out on Netflix last week because there's just so much of it. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about like Apple TV Plus is there's some shows that they drop altogether, but most of their shows come out on a weekly basis. I think streaming services are moving towards that. I mean, Disney Plus is doing that with mm-hmm. with most of their content, and and HBO Max is Mandalorian. E- exactly, like, Mandalorian is a great example. Everybody was talking about it, and for the entire winter break or the the end of the end of 2019, everybody was talking about the Mandalorian, and everybody was mm-hmm. like, "I think this is what's going to happen." And everybody's just like, "I I love this episode, and I've seen it six times." And I because I, I, I think the other thing is people. If, if people binge watch something once they've watched everything once and they're done with it, but like people would sit and watch the same game of Thrones episode three times before the next one came out. Yeah. So, and when those Marvel shows finally come out on Disney plus, they're going to be like, obviously pop culture has kind of come to a slow point right now, but once Marvel movies start coming out again, those shows come out on Disney Plus, it's going to be all Marvel all the time. And they're going to dominate conversation and it builds. And I think it's stupid, like cliffhanger episodes in bingeable TV shows. It's like, I could literally just watch it. There's no tension, but like, it's just going to come on. But there's also, I mean, but there's also the, the element of if you stop in the middle of a binge, like, there have been times where I've just stopped and it's just like I, I, I didn't watch the next the next episode for like a month because there's no reason for me to. So, so I see both sides of the argument, but I agree with you. I think I think binging is ruining the television experience uh, or at least television feeling like an event. Um, and especially mm-hmm. you mentioned it's hard to keep up with Netflix. I only log into Netflix probably once a week 
And it's just to like check out something that I've been watching or, or like, like to watch an episode or two or like just to, to, to add something new to my queue that I heard about or something. like, I, I very rarely go on it. So I'm missing out. They're putting new content on every single day and it's, it's hard to keep up yeah. with that. I, I think that TV is moving the right direction with, I mean, I wish Hulu did it instead of just dropping everything in bulk. Uh, but at least FX on Hulu is, is doing this kind of one thing. Well, at and a time. that's interesting because Hulu does that with a few of its shows like handmaid's tale. Okay. They drop the first three episodes and then it's weekly. Okay. HBO max did that, that strategy. Three, three episodes up top. Yeah. And then, and that was interesting. Cause with love life, they dropped three a week later, they dropped yeah. three. And then drop four, and it's like three weeks, season done. And like it looks like Doom Patrol, they're going to be taking a similar route with that too. That's changing. And Netflix was the innovator. They changed television. It's interesting watching things kind of balance out. Yeah, and there's – you know, for older shows, it's great to binge. But like you're you're absolutely right. New content. I want to be able to have a conversation. That's why Westworld does not work if you binge it. It doesn't work as good, at least, because it works really well, me getting to sit down and have a conversation with somebody about what we both experienced that week. Like, it's it's so it's so interesting. It's so complex. And gosh, I just I need to talk about Westworld with people. And uh, if I if I were to binge it and then we just have to talk about the whole season, there's way too much to talk about. And I. Yeah. I don't. I think that's what I hope. Westworld gets to that Game of Thrones status where it really becomes like an event, especially whenever their last season is, season is going to be. Um, I don't. I don't know if I think they said initially they had f- five seasons planned, but who knows if that changed? Uh, I really thought all the promo leading up to this was trying to say the three season three was going to be the last, but it got picked up for four. So, yeah. and I don't know if maybe they intend for four to be the last or if they're still going to go for five, but I, I hope Westworld gets to that because it's a great example. I think Westworld's a better show than Game of Thrones it, to me. I think Game of Thrones is is great and it's fine. I never got the huge hype for this is the best show ever, but I also never read the books. Man, season one of Westworld is probably, uh, it's either season one of Westworld or the Watchmen miniseries. That's my favorite like season of TV ever. And Gosh, it's I mean, it's season six of Game of Thrones is my favorite, and I was maybe a little bit of a hot take, but because uh, uh, it was after the books ended. But I was, I agree with you. I wish I wish things were more episodic, and I wish I mean for Westworld, I had people over at my house. And we watch it together every week. Uh, well, mm-hmm. until quarantine happened, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but but like I I want more of that. I want I want excuses. Hey, come over Saturday. We're gonna watch. This. I want uh, Game of Thrones season eight felt like the Super Bowl, especially the finale. Holy crap. Oh my God. Yes, it did. And like everybody was having their hot takes all around. I'm like, get out of here. I'm watching Barry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So cool. Uh, I got one hot take for you. Um, last, last, epi- last episode I said, I think the office is highly overrated to Frank. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, the most overrated TV show that has ever been around is Breaking Bad. And I think Breaking Bad is fine. I think it's a good show. I don't think it's the best show ever. I I tried really hard. It took me three t- same same exact story with The Office. I started it, got about four episodes in, decided this show is not for me, and stopped. But everybody kept talking about it, so I got to the end of season one, and I even watched like up to like season two, episode two, or something like that. This show is still just not for me. I don't get what the hype is. Stop. 
but everybody won't keep, won't stop telling me how great it is. So I'm like, fine, I'm just going to watch it all. And I can be like, I've seen it all. You can't tell me anymore. Breaking Bad is just not a show for me. And there, a lot of it is because there is not a single likable character in that whole show because Walter White starts off very likable and turns into this very unlikable character, which I get is the point of the show. And I'm totally okay with that. I'm totally in support of that. I mean, that's the title of the show, Breaking Bad. It's about how the world turns this good optimistic person into this nightmare of a person. But I need people to root for, even if it is, even if it's Hank, but Hank is such an unlikable person and there is nobody less likable than Walt's wife. She is a nightmare and a half. And even by the end of the season, even his kid is a butthole. And I don't, I don't like him at all. The, if, this show made me not like the crippled kid. And how do you do that? I just, this kid made, this show made me think the crippled kid is a jerk. And I, there's nobody likable in the show. Jesse's the most likable person. Uh, and he has a huge turn from being relatively scum at the beginning to turning into a likable character. And, and yes, Jesse is the person that I want to win in the end. But at the same time, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't. It wasn't enough. One good person in a sea of bad people. And I, there were some really intense moments. There's some really amazing episodes. Uh, the fly episode was amazing. The end of season <clears throat> four where they're taking down Gus. It's good. It's it's the most overrated show there's ever been on TV. Because most I know most people would say it's the best show on TV. I, th- I think The Wire is better. I think Watchmen is better. I think Westworld's better. I think um, uh, Luther on BBC is one of my favorite shows of all time. Sherlock is better. Batman the Animated Series is better. Scrubs is better. Parks and Rec is better. There's so many better shows on TV. Not The Office. I have an interesting build-off hot take on your hot take is that I don't even think it's the best show from Vince Gilligan. Do you think Better Call Saul is better? I love Better Call Saul. I absolutely love that show. And taking how they took Saul Goodman, who's one of the slimiest characters Mm -hmm. from Breaking Bad, and did so much with him. Honestly, it might be set around a lot of the same characters, but it's such a very different show because it really is such a character study. And honestly, my favorite character from Breaking Bad was Mike. Yeah, I like Mike. And getting to see more of him and his backstory and where he comes from was really interesting in Better Call Saul. And I hear really good things about Better Call Saul, but it's from uh, most of the same people that also say that Breaking Bad is amazing. And I'm just like, you know, I, I, I'm sure you're enjoying it. And I'm not trying to crush your dreams. I'm just saying it's not a show for Breaking Bad was not a show for me. So I just don't think Better Call Saul will. And I love crime shows. Like, well, and here's the thing Better Call Saul is such a different show. Yeah. It might work for you. Maybe. So, and, like, yeah, I might give it a chance at some point, but at some point, but like, it's, it's not really high on my interest list. And that's fine. Yeah. And like, that's understandable. It's like, I heard some people who were like, they really did not like Better Call Saul who loved Breaking Bad because it was so different. Yeah. I hear the first season is pretty jarring, but I know pretty much universally starting at season two, people love it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because those people stopped and never gave it a second chance or it's because it kind of found its – it had a rough start, I remember. But I remember, yeah, by season two, people were on board. 
Cool. Well, hey, we uh, we don't have a B plot for you this week, which is great because we've already run really long. Um, so, yeah. but but a reminder: if you want us to answer your question, uh, it could be about movies or TV or anything pop culture in general. We would love to answer your questions on the show. You can uh, either tweet that to me or DM that to me uh, uh, at Schweit Castle on Twitter, S C H White Castle, like the great restaurant that is in uh, at least nowhere near me anymore, but. Um, in New Jersey, <laughs> tweet tweet at me there or the place that Harold and Kumar go to, and uh, <laughs> you could also email that to writersroom at sifpop and that will get to me, and uh, we would love to answer your question on the show. But for now, we just don't have one for you, and uh, and that is okay for this week. So we would love to do that, but we do have one last thing before we wrap up, and that is the spinoff. So Shane, what is one thing? in the world of pop culture that you want to tell everyone that they need to watch or they need to avoid? So I'm going to take an interesting twist on this because the one thing I want to say is please keep up with virtual cinemas. I know a lot of people who love movies and a lot of people are like, I miss new movies and stuff like that. Yeah, we can't go out to the theater, but there's so many gems out there on. So like I use Princeton Garden Theater. I'm a member of that nonprofit theater, and they have great films on virtual cinema that come out every week. Reading Cinema has a lot of great gems that come out on there. And Film Movement was one that I discovered that brings up a lot of foreign and independent films. So where you might be, and these aren't just those $20 ones like Scoob and Trolls World Tour and The King of Staten Island that are big studio films still coming out. There's a lot of things like I saw Extraordinary and never, rarely, sometimes, always on. And that's my favorite film of 2020 so far. I've been able to keep up with so many different films on these independent theaters streaming. And I think it's important to keep those theaters supported and also catching out these smaller films when there aren't the Black Widows and the Tenants and the Mulan's out. So, Right. Well, and to get Tenant, you have to have a following mm-hmm. or a memento. And exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I'll second that, uh, especially if you could find like a local actual theater that's having those. I mean, there's a, mm-hmm. uh, there's a theater here where I live that is a small not-for-profit, again, very local, vol- some, sometimes volunteer run. And it's, uh, it's, it's really great. It's pretty high-end theater as well. Uh, but like it was the only theater in town that was showing Parasite when it came out. Mm-hmm. So like it, 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 the biggest movie they ever had that I saw was they showed Jojo Rabbit, and like that was a relatively big movie. But like you know, I oh. I don't know that everywhere was playing it, and uh, they they were showing uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and they were showing nice. Uh, they they sh- they sometimes show some older ones too. So yeah, especially if you can find like a local independent cinema to support, especially if they're not for profit. Uh, yeah, I. 100% back that on the contrary, I'm about to warn one of these straight to VOD releases uh, because I watched a movie that I was really excited for. Uh, Alex, if you're, if you're listening, I know you are, uh, I, you were the one tweeting at me when I said I wanted to be vague because I wanted to let people like, I didn't want to want to give it away because I knew I wanted to use it for this podcast, but I watched and I did not like Capone. Mm-hmm. I was really excited for this movie because Tom Hardy, again, growing up near Chicago, like, I, I love Chicago and and I, I'm very familiar with Al Capone, like his legacy, the person himself. And De Niro playing Capone mm-hmm. in Untouchables is just magnificent. And and I really wanted that 
but that's not the movie. It's also written and directed by Josh Trank, and I love Chronicle. So I, I thought that this was going to be uh, one of those movies that uh, I knew. I knew that this was not the movie that Josh Trank intended on making. He wasn't intended on making a gangster movie. He wanted to make a movie about the last year of Capone's life, and it's like, it's like if you watched like the last half hour of The Irishman. Mm-hmm. except Robert De Niro also had dementia and quite literally pooped the bed. Yeah. And like, it's, it, it's uh, the last half hour of uh, the Irishman is my favorite, but if you just watch the last uh, half hour, that would not work. And I really think that this would have worked as a kind of epilogue to something that took place De Niro from the untouchables. But the, the story that Trank is trying to, to say, it just doesn't work in this full movie format. It's a, a short film, sure. Again, an, an epoch, or even if there was like a actual Capone in Chicago and this was a sequel to that, like with Tom Hardy, if this was like the second in, or, or like the third to a trilogy, probably works a little bit better. But as it stands, I didn't like this movie. It's really slow and boring. And like, I like movies that are a lot of sit and talk, uh, but this is just not great. I like movies that deal with like people kind of regretting their past. I think Tom Hardy is doing a good performance. I had to watch this with subtitles though, because yep. since he's old and dementia, like I couldn't understand anything that he was saying. Uh, th- there is somewhere in here. There's a good movie and I just couldn't find it. And I, I pre-ordered it because I really wanted to see it. And I saw it on, it says it went straight to VOD uh, that it was only 1299 to pre-order. And I was like, Twelve ninety nine for the ultra high definition. Sure, like why not? Like, could, and I should have taken that as a sign as nobody was confident in this movie. And and as soon as it came out, I saw the Rotten Tomato score, and I was just like, I think I made a mistake. And yeah, I, I did. So don't make the same mistake I did. Stay away from Capone. Uh, Hardy Hardy's really good. Uh, that's about all I have to say about it. Uh, it's it's also real. It's also too confusing because he, since he's dealing with dementia, there's a lot of like. Uh, things that they're playing with that but it's just it's just not done in a in a way that makes sense it's very jarring it, it makes yeah. me feel like i have dementia it's it's not and, and maybe that's trank's point and maybe in 30 years we'll think this movie's a masterpiece but i really doubt it and i second your feelings 100 percent. it just felt so clunky and poorly put together well, and Trank also edited this movie, and I don't know that he's ever edited before, but I, like, I'm, I'm going to say it now. Like, I'm, I'm happy that Josh Trank's Star Wars movie didn't go through because Chronicle is amazing, and I never saw the Fantastic Four, but if, if and his vision is apparently very different than what he got out, but like, you're taking Fantastic Four and Capone, man, he's one for three. He might be a one-hit wonder, and I want some, you know, he was supposed to do Boba Fett. I want somebody else to do Boba Fett. Like, well, like, give me James Mangold doing Boba Fett. If Oh, that'd be cool. Right, that would be really cool. Um, I'm feeling very Neil Blomkamp about Josh Trank at this point, where okay. it's kind of like you had that first move that really caught people's attention, and then people have been giving you the benefit of a doubt, and then your third movie comes along, and it's just like, I don't know. And well, and here's here's a question about that. So I love Chronicle. I assume you do too. Mm-hmm. Does Chronicle work as well as it does without Dane DeHaan and Michael B. Jordan? That's a good question because they gave some really strong performances. And my favorite part of the movie was their performances. My favorite part is that it turned Michael B. Jordan from a 
nobody to a somebody. And that was my first, that was my first, first mm-hmm. exposure to him and Dane DeHaan. I think they're both brilliant. Excellent. Those might be my fir- my favorite performances that those two actors ever had. And I, I just, I just, I think the fact that they got some of the best young talent is the reason why that movie works so well. Um, and with Capone, there were no character like there's Capone and then a bunch of stereotypes just shoved around yep. and none of the other actors really had anything to work with. And like, I love Linda Cardellini. She really have anything to work with. That was going to be the one thing that I said is she is the bright light in this movie because she is terrific and she's always terrific. But I feel like recently or really forever, she's, she's always been given small roles uh, or roles that there isn't much to do. I mean, she's great as Velma mm-hmm. in the Scooby-Doo movies and in Freaks and Geeks, she's great. But most of her roles wind up being Hawkeye's wife. And it's just like the Netflix show dead to me with her and Christina Applegate. She really gets a chance to do something with it. And she's great. Good. Because Tom Hardy is performing well um, for a not great movie. But Linda Cardellini is the standout for Capone. Uh, She is not worth watching this movie for, but she is the best part of this movie. I was so disappointed and I, I, I was really excited about this movie, but then when the reviews came out, then I was like, okay, I had no expectations going into this movie. I let everything go. And it took me this long to actually watch. It's been out for over a month Mm -hmm. and it just, and I've owned it since day one. It's just, it's taking me this long to get around to. And uh, even watching it, I, I, I wanted to shut it off, but I'm a completionist. And I will say it did get better as, as it, got through like the first hour is really not good but the last half hour is pretty okay uh pretty decent stuff it got a lot more exciting (laughs) after he has the stroke it's really like the last like three or four days of his life after that stuff i i'm pretty okay with and i'm pretty sure he totally fabricated the ending of the movie like with the with the tommy gun i'm pretty sure nowhere i can read says that actually happened that's the thing about this movie most of the movie is like either a dream sequence or a hallucination yeah. And like it even cuts back during the movie to be like, oh, he just imagined that. It's the cheapest, laziest writing. And I'm like, why'd I watch this movie? None of like none of it really felt like it happened in the world of yeah. the film. It just felt like a bunch of hallucinations and stuff. And I'm like, it's not worth it. But again, if you make this the third part to a Capone trilogy, if you if you give him a movie that takes place like around Untouchables time and give him a movie in prison and then give him this one. I'm fine with that, but or just make something like the Irishman. That's yeah, three yeah. and a half hours. I will say, thank God this movie was only like an hour, 40 minutes because if yep. this was a two and a half hour mm-hmm. movie, I definitely would have shut it off. And man, the, I very rarely shut off movies in the middle of them. Like it's, it takes a lot for me to do that. I and, agree. Yeah. So that's a wrap. Quick reminder that Sif Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can find out more shows that are part of the network if you go to studiodna.media or you can search Studio DNA in your podcast feed. If you're interested in writing for SifPop.com or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore, then email us at writersroom at SifPop.com. And if you want to support the show, uh, help us out with some rental fees, equipment fees, anything like that, go ahead and you can Venmo me the same uh, handle that Twitter is. That's at Schweitcastle. Uh, or you can DM me on Twitter. I'll give you an email address. You can send some PayPal to uh, every, everything we do is self-funded. So if, you, if you're having a good time, you want to help us out with some stuff, then you're more than welcome to. But we're just here to, to talk movies and, and let you in on our conversation. So uh, Shane, thanks so much for being on. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Really, thank you for having me.
Of course. We'll have you on again uh, here soon. And because uh, that's the goal is to keep it on a cycle and get a chance to talk with every writer and, and keep talking with them. But uh, but in the meantime, where can we continue this conversation? Where can people find you? So shameless plugs to the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel. That's my YouTube channel. So I release reviews and videos almost regularly. So I keep up with a lot of movies. I've seen 146 films that have come out in 2020 because I watch a lot. There's of been that movies that have come out. Yep, between streaming and wow. virtual cinema, okay. and I review all of them. So check out my videos, and I make a lot of posts on Instagram, the Wasteland Reviewer, and Twitter, Wasteland Shane. So follow me on social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and watch videos of me talking about movies, because why not? Awesome, yeah. Well, so go ahead and feel free to connect with us. Feel free to continue these conversations. Let us know uh, what you thought about the episodes and any feedback always. But uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Shane. Next month, I'll be talking with TV with Caleb. And uh, until then, uh, it's back to the writer's room for us. (laughs) 